Good morning. You're listening to NPR News. I'm Dan Crocker here with my colleague Kirsty Marone. We're sitting in for Angela Davis today. Glad you could join us. Minnesota has an ambitious goal to cut greenhouse gas emissions to zero by 2050. That's what scientists say is needed to prevent the worst impacts of climate change. Yesterday on the program, we talked about some of the challenges and opportunities of getting to green in Minnesota. That's also the name of a project we launched last year at NPR News exploring some of these issues. Today, we're going to focus on your home, what you can do right where you live to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and the growing number of rebates and incentives available to help make those changes. That's important because while we have made progress in converting a lot of our electricity to clean energy sources, the carbon emissions from residential buildings, offices, and other buildings continue to rise because we continue to use a lot of natural gas and propane to heat them. And we want to hear from you, too, as well today. What changes have you made to your home to reduce carbon emissions? Maybe you've added insulation or replaced a furnace with an electric heat pump? Tell us about it. Or are you interested in making changes but don't know where to start? The phone lines are open. Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. And we have two guests in studio today to help answer your questions. Michelle Granzi is Deputy Commissioner of Energy Resources at the Minnesota Department of Commerce. Michelle, welcome. Thank you, Dan. Glad to have you here. Also, Rebecca Olson is the Senior Director of Residential and Community Energy at the Center for Energy and Environment, which is a nonprofit that provides clean energy solutions for land for homeowners, businesses, and governments. Rebecca, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Michelle, let's start with the big picture. Minnesota has made a lot of progress in reducing carbon emissions. More than half of the state's electricity now comes from renewable sources, and electric vehicles are starting to increase in popularity. But the emissions from our buildings, as we mentioned, from our homes are increasing. Why is that, and why is that important that we address that issue? Thank you, Kirsty, and thank you for having me today. I think part of what is important to note is that while the utilities have been doing a lot of work on cleaning up the grid, we as individuals need to do more in our homes. The building stock is getting older while there's an increasing number of buildings across the state. And so as we know, things become less efficient and we have opportunities now to actually take action. We're in a state of 10,000 lakes, but Really, it's a a state of 10,000 action steps that we can also take individually and have some ownership of the efficiency of our own homes. Rebecca, the the Center for Energy Environment has a program called Electrify Everything. Um, And we talked a lot about this a lot on the the program yesterday. But could you explain just why why that's a big part of addressing climate change, you know, this this idea of electrifying everything. How how is that going to help us get to where we need to go? Yeah, um, so that was an effort that was actually developed by a few cities that came to us um, wanting to do something for their communities around uh, energy efficiency and carbon reduction. And so um, that has been more of a public campaign to get people um, the awareness that they need to start making some of these changes. Um, so as your guests talked yesterday about the electric grid getting cleaner, um, now we have this really great moment where we, we have technology that can do this stuff between heating and water heating to switch from more of our fossil fuel-based um, fuels to electricity with a very efficient technology in air source heat pumps. Um, so, so there's a lot more to sort of consider with that, but we're in this really great moment that we can start to do that. So just to put a finer point on it, so 
we used to burn a lot of coal in in Minnesota. As we move to more carbon free electricity, now the idea is to start putting that electricity to more use in different parts of our economy and in our homes, right? Yeah, and and I just want to clarify that we've had electric heating systems for a very long time. Right, they've just been quite less efficient, and now we have air source heat pump technology that is about you know four to five times more efficient. So we're in that really great sweet spot. Well, we had a chance recently to tour a home that has literally electrified everything. Dan and I visited the home of Kristen Rose Reese and William Reese. They did a major renovation on a home in St. Paul that they bought in 2022 to make it more energy efficient and to switch out the gas furnace and appliances for electric. And they learned a lot during the process. Let's take a listen. I'm Kirsty. I'm Kristen. Kristen Ross Reese works for the state of Minnesota, helping cities and tribal governments on sustainability issues. Yeah, welcome to our ongoing work zone. So, and William Reese works for a company that develops utility-scale solar projects. They both knew they wanted to make their house green, and they both have expertise. But Kristen says it was still a steep learning curve. And I still don't understand all of it. You know, sometimes I tell people that the heat pump heating and cooling system that we have is just magic. Like, I don't understand what is inside there that does it, but it I know it does it efficiently, and um, I know that it keeps our home comfortable. Well, should we take a little tour? Yeah. yeah. Into the depths of the basement. Yeah. Uh, the thing that you hear running right now is our heat pump water heater. Can you actually feel the cold air coming out? So it's pulling the air from the space, heating the water, and then it's getting rid of the cold air. They also ripped out an inefficient gas boiler and replaced it with an air source heat pump. So there's the condenser units are outside and those draw in the air and pull that energy. So they take in the warm air and even I think they're, it's either 80 or 90% functional at 12 below zero, um, which we have very few days where the low gets that low, maybe two weeks out of the year kind of thing. Um, So it'll lose efficiency after that, but it'll continue to run. The only other thing I'd mention down here is the electrical box. When you're electrifying, that is honestly like step one is making sure that you have the space or you're upgrading your box to um, fit all of the power that you you will be utilizing. Back upstairs, they point out where they were able to pull out the old radiators. They installed a new system of air ducts to transport heat and air conditioning provided by the heat pump. In the kitchen, they put in an electric induction stove. And in a small mudroom in the back of the house, they installed a new heat pump dryer. It just draws the energy out of the air and pulls that heat energy into the dryer. Again, like Kristen said, it's basically magic. I don't understand it fully. But that's the general, like, it pulls that energy out of the molecules in the air and concentrates that into the dryer to do that drying. So you have no appliances anymore that are not electric. Everything's electric. It's all electric. We have no gas meter. They pulled it out. That was actually another adventure, is explaining to the utility that we no longer wanted a gas meter. Um, They just kept circling back to us filling out a demolition form as if we were completely demolishing our home. And we're like... We're not demolishing the home. We just want the gas meter gone. And they're like, well, the only form we have is a demolition form. William says their electric bill is more expensive now, but they don't have a gas bill. And they plan to install rooftop solar panels to reduce their costs and carbon emissions. He says the biggest cost savings came from insulating the house. Before they moved in, they tore the walls down to the studs. In the third floor attic, they added nine inches of insulation. 
before we insulated anything and all the walls were open, you would come up here even on like a 50 degree day and it would be blazing hot when there was no insulation. And then we insulated the whole or re-insulated the whole house with that spray foam. And there was very little temperature variation between the floors. It's pretty, pretty amazing what it does. Kristen says it's not the new shiny appliances that make the most difference, but the grunt work, the energy efficiency improvements that save the most money and the most energy. Kristen and William put a lot of sweat equity into the house. They did the demo work themselves. William climbed on the roof in February to take down the old chimney. They didn't need it anymore since they didn't have a furnace venting gas. But Kristen says it was worth it. We know it's the right thing to do. We wanted an older home, and we knew that it wouldn't be as efficient as something newer, but it had character, and we wanted to, you know, give life into something that um, can continue to, to live for, for the next 100 years. That was William and Kristen Moreau's Reese talking about their home in St. Paul that's now fully electric and much more energy efficient. We are talking about ways to, to green your homes here on NPR News Today. I'm Dan Crocker here with my colleague, Christy Marone. Uh, we do have some callers waiting. We're going to get to them in just a second. If you want to join the conversation, the numbers are 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. But before we get to those callers, I wanted to have uh, both of our guests here in studio reflect on um, on what they heard and Rebecca with the Center for Energy and Environment I'm curious what what you heard there in that in, the, in that tour what your what your big takeaways were from it yeah it's always so interesting to hear people's journey along this and that was a very um, planful and um, comprehensive yeah. approach so they're you know they did it right um, I really love how much they emphasize the insulation and air sealing that's so critical for Anybody now, whatever fuel you have, that helps you save money, that helps make your home more comfortable, um, really reduces carbon footprint. Um, so, you know, one thing I just want to note, though, is that um, that was a pretty full-scale project with a lot of planning. There's a lot of steps people can take that are kind of partial and sort of start you on that journey, including insulation, air sealing. Maybe your water heater goes out, time to get a heat pump water heater. Maybe your air conditioner goes out, you can get a heat pump, even with an existing gas or propane furnace as backup. So there's lots of um, ways to do this that don't necessarily need to be that full scale. Right. And I want to get into those, some of those things that folks can do during the show. And yeah, we should note that, that these homeowners were able to live in their previous home while they gutted this home and were able to do that. And they they noted that they know that lots of folks wouldn't be in that position to do that. But still a lot of valuable lessons there. Michelle Granzi, Department of Commerce, I'm curious what your takeaways were. Yes, thank you. I think one of the key um, pieces that really struck me is that this was an old home. We often think about the opportunities in new construction. And if we're living in an old home, well, what is it that I can do? And they really took a comprehensive approach. The other piece of it is the planning. It's so often that we make energy decisions in the immediacy of a air conditioner going out, your heater going out, and then you don't have as many options as when you plan ahead, think through it. And they really did a comprehensive approach at that. Well, let's go to the phones. We've got some callers who are standing by. And um, let's go to Mike in Two Harbors. Mike, what did you want to add to this conversation? I just wanted to say thank you because this is an excellent series that you're putting on this week. We did the same type of process that uh, the article you just shared um, uh, with our own home in 2020. And as your guests are uh, saying, 
planning is a really good idea. There are excellent ways, excellent, excellent ways to to sit, sit down and get a home energy audit. Uh, that's the big first step. Once you do that, you can sit down with an energy designer and help to uh, create the plan that you need to make your home energy efficient. And we did this, and uh, we saved about 40% off of our energy bills. We're an all-electric home that was built in 1965 and really was not built for energy efficiency, but now it is snug as a bug. And um, it, it is on, it's heated completely and, uh, by heat pumps, and we love it. Wow, 40%? Uh, savings on your electric bill that's that's or your energy bills that's that's not bad rebecca um do you want to have any thoughts on that it, it in terms of like the first steps that somebody should take if they're thinking about doing this yeah um it's it's he mentioned the energy audit as a first way to sort of understand where your home's at and kind of what what you need to do to get to that goal that you have which you know, people have different goals on this um the uh, utility framework in the state has long offered energy audits, um, pretty subsidized in most of the state. Um, so that would be a good step is to look into your utility audit offerings so that you can have somebody come out and really look at your house because every house is kind of at a different place. Um, there are uh, often similar recommendations for different houses, but um, what you do first versus uh, last might might vary depending on the age of your house, um, the fuel type that you have. Like he mentioned 40% savings. That's probably likely that um, uh, it was a delivered fuel a heated system, so heat like pumps propane are or something, propane mm-hmm. or fuel oil, um, or maybe electric resistance. So maybe he was on electric and then went to uh, heat pumps. Um, so the the cost savings can vary depending on your existing fuel. The number to call to join the conversation is six five one two two seven six thousand or eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight. Uh, Jim from Minneapolis has been waiting in. He has a question about heat pumps, which is uh, <laughs> a, a topic I'm growing more and more fascinated with. But Jim, thanks for calling. Go ahead. Uh, sure, thanks. Uh, the I live in a house that was built in 1922 in Minneapolis. It is uh, hot water radiator based, and we have a gas furnace for that. Uh, on the air conditioning side, we've done uh, heat pumps with some mini splits, but uh, I'm curious about the uh, accommodating the hot water radiators. Uh, uh, contrary to the example you gave in St. Paul, we're, we're really not very keen about having to rip the radiators out, do floor repair because of that. We'd like to keep the radiators. Is there any heat pump or other electric furnace option that would actually work with the radiators? Jim, thanks for the question. I'm going to throw your question to Rebecca Olson with the Center for Energy and Environment. Rebecca? Yeah, thanks for that question. Um so you mentioned that you have heat pumps for cooling now. Uh, depending on that unit, it may actually have the capacity to do heating as well. Sometimes they're installed for air conditioning um, and have some capacity to do some heating, um, but they were never set up that way. So that's one thing to look at. Um, when those uh, heat pumps are at the end of their life, it would be good to look at a cold climate version of those so that they can do a lot of heating for you. Um, We typically recommend uh, keeping your boiler and your radiator system as your backup system um, and then supplement with the mini splits for heating um, to offset that so you can kind of heat with uh, efficient electricity um, for most of the season and then switch over to your boiler, have that kind of co-heat um, so you're maximizing cost as well as comfort. 
Jim, did that address your, your question? Well, not really. I look <laughs> at the weather we're in right now. Yeah. Uh, and there's 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 no way that that uh, the mini split approach is going to handle this kind of weather. And, and I was hoping that there would there would be a way to actually use uh, maybe a larger heat uh, heat pump unit that would work with the the radiators, not instead of. Is is there anything like that? Yeah. Um, so two answers to your question. Um, heat pump technology has advanced quite dramatically in the last 10 years. So now we have cold climate rated systems that those many, a lot of mini splits now are rated down to negative 20 degrees um, outdoor temperature and they can still provide really usable heat. So that's one thing to note. There are air to water heat pumps that are um, on the market. They're less advanced in the market and they're um, a little less um, ready for residential applications. Um, our organization has a robust research um, department that does a lot of field research. So we are currently researching um, air-to-water systems. So that would be a compressor outside that delivers the heat to the water that goes around to your radiators. So that's coming, um, but it's not quite um, at the level that we feel confident kind of recommending that to customers at this point. Hey, Jim, thanks so much for, for calling in. Rebecca, I wanted to ask you uh, one quick follow-up because I did a story on heat pumps a few weeks ago. Can you talk a little bit about the importance or the need to have, um, and maybe Michelle, you wanted to weigh on this too, but the importance of having a backup heating system? Yeah. Um, so we're trying to call it supplemental. Okay, supplemental. <laughs> I, I think I even used backup a couple of times. Um, just to, you know, the heat pumps can oftentimes cover the full load of the heating season. I put in a heat pump last um, summer, and my backup system hasn't come on at all. My supplemental system hasn't come on at all. Um, so there are ways to make sure that your um, your house is tight enough, well insulated, so the heat pump is actually providing all the heat. Um, but we do have colder weather than, um, you know, the, I think I mentioned that negative 20 degrees. Mine is rated to negative 25, but we do get colder weather than that. And so... Um, it is important to have a supplemental system, whether that's electric resistance or uh, natural gas or propane. Um, kind of depends on your goals. If you're gonna, if your goal is for cost reduction, then you're probably going to want to use natural gas. Um, if your, uh, you know, goal is carbon reduction, then you're probably going to use electric resistance. That's just a lot more expensive than gas. So um, there are choices to be made. Michelle, who you and we should note that, that both of our guests today have heat pumps in their homes. Michelle, go ahead. Yes. So I, I've actually installed two heat pumps or had contractors install two heat pumps. In one case, the supplemental heat, we went to a high efficiency propane backup. The reality was there wasn't the cold climate air source heat pump option. And that's one thing that callers, you know, I'd love for you to to know is that there are a lot of different heat pumps and you need to specifically ask for that cold climate air source heat pump if you if you want that to really make it down into the the depths of cold here. In the other case, we installed the electric resistance backup heat and we're transitioning to all electric with the cold climate air source heat pump. And that is just a fantastic option for people that don't want to have to think about it anymore. You install it, it is automatic. You can track it like Rebecca on your phone as to everything that's happening. And it's a great way to go green. I should ask you both, uh, how are your heat pumps working right now when it's been so cold? Um, are your houses warm and comfortable? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I check my app every day. <laughs> it's been called just to make sure my backup system wasn't coming on. Um, and so far, so good. And last year, I think the lowest temperature we recorded was negative 17. And heat pump was delivering, you know, sufficient heat for our house the whole time. So similarly, with the cold climate air source heat pump, and then insulation, plus solar, that just takes care of it all. Well, let's go to another caller. Um, Bob in Minneapolis has been holding on, and he recently had a home energy audit. Um, Bob, what did you want to weigh in here? Well, thank you for taking my call. Say, I just want to say I was kind of inspired a few years back. Uh, Channel 2 had a special that they worked with the Center for Energy and Environment on. And Rebecca, I'm wondering if you were in that special, but uh, they went through a lot of the things with older homes, how to improve them, um, and the importance of getting an energy audit. And to the point earlier made, my energy audit was free, you know, subsidized by the city of Minneapolis. I live in South Minneapolis. It's a 1931 Tudor uh, with stucco covering. Um, after I watched the special, I decided to upgrade my storm windows from the original ones from the house to I, I'm just outside of the Mac area, so never got those. Uh, but it was a terrific upgrade, uh, which stopped the drafts during the cold winter times like these times. Uh, and then I got an energy environment last, uh, I think it was probably this past spring. Uh, and what, what I loved about it is they gave essentially what the upgrades would change your score from the baseline where you currently were based on the the things that you could do, uh, insulation, uh, a new water heater, a continuous uh, variable fan. Uh, and so I went with getting insulation because I found out my 1931 home on the main floor had a half inch of insulation in a three and a half inch cavity. Uh, and they told me what the rebate was going to be. They set me up with a provider. Um, they took care of my concerns because the aesthetics of it were one of the big concerns. Um, you know, you've seen a lot of houses with the holes in the outside that haven't been patched very well, and they really held my hand through the entire process and did a great job. And um, I'm happy to say that, you know, it's uh, the house has been much more efficient. I can't quantify it, but it's certainly been more comfortable this winter. Thanks, Bob, for sharing that story. Rebecca, is that pretty typical of what you hear? I know you talk a lot about the importance of insulation. Yeah, uh, and thanks, Bob, for the <laughs> plug on the uh, TVT special. That, that was me. Um, and so glad to hear that you had such a great experience. That's that's really the journey we want everybody to take is learn about their home, where it's at, and then make some good choices about what to do. Um, we do try to make it easier for our customers, connect them with really qualified contractors. That um, One of the things that we've developed in the last – um, 10 or so years is working with contractors to actually have a negotiated price list so we can deliver a bid to a customer at the audit so they don't have to call contractors, they don't have to get separate bids, we're sort of negotiating that for them um, and we work with some of the best contractors in the state. So um, I'm just so happy to hear that that went really well for him and that um, he, you know, he's really setting his home up for this electrification revolution now, you know, get it as tight and insulated as possible with ventilation, of course, to make sure that you have good, uh, healthy air, um, and then switch over to some of these lower carbon footprint fuels. I'm going to go to another caller who also has a comment or a question about insulation, and then maybe we can throw it to Michelle for a comment. But Terry from St. Louis Park, you've been holding, I'm sorry, Andy, Andy in Edina um, has called in and has been holding on. Andy, um, go ahead. Thanks for calling. Sure. Yeah. I um, have had the energy audit done uh, actually twice in the last 10 years, and both of them focused on uh, get more insulation, um, do more to seal cracks in windows and things like that, and get a new furnace. And I put it off until about uh, two years ago, 
So, uh, well, two to three roughly <clears throat> during the pandemic seemed like a good time to pause and get a new furnace. So we got this ultra high efficiency furnace and our house is uh, built in 1953. Uh, it's got a traditional forced air system. Uh, and we have also purchased more recently a, a high efficiency uh, water heater as well. And so we have all this going on. We have added all this insulation, sealed all these cracks and done all this work. And I still continue to get these kind of condescending emails and letters and from Minnegasco noting that you're using way more energy than your comparable neighbors nearby. And I keep thinking, well, how much am I using versus my neighbors? I mean, I I've almost wanted to go start knocking door to door and asking them, hey, would you mind sharing the numbers from your Minnegasco bill? Because, <laughs> hmm. you know, we don't keep the temperature high. It's 68. We have a setback thermostat. And I just... I. It doesn't seem like I'm feeling the benefits of the investment. Hmm. Rebecca, Michelle, any any idea what could be going on here? Well, I would have one question as far as I know you said you did two audits. Did you have an energy audit done after? Uh, Because sometimes things happen where you might still have a leakage. For instance, my parents had a a new install um, in their bathroom. And suddenly there was an area because of the way it was, uh, the piping was installed, where there was really a lot of hot air still going out through the roof, and they they ended up um, with a situation there. So sometimes a secondary energy audit can help point out if something else has changed. Also, not sure about your utility, if they're comparing you to same size homes or not, but if your neighbors are in smaller homes, they may be tighter. Um, If your neighbors keep it at 60 degrees and you're keeping it at 68. I mean, there's a number of um, various issues that that might come into play there too. Yeah, I would I would take those with a grain of salt. Those are really meant to spur on behaviors um, like like the ones you already completed. So, you know, getting insulation, air sealing, get getting high efficiency appliances. And, um, it you know, it's really algorithm based. The utility scale is trying to compare like homes, but sometimes characteristics get messed up in that. Um, one thing I'd maybe recommend is if you have access to your old bills, I'd, I'd look at how much um, how much therm usage you had before you did some of this work and then after, because that's really going to be telling you how much you have saved specifically, because that's what matters at the end of the day, not necessarily how you compare to your neighbors. And let's go back to the phones. We have a lot of callers here waiting. Um, how about Ashley in Centerville? Um, she wanted to um, talk about the cost of heat pumps. Ashley? Yeah. Hi. Thanks for taking the call. And thanks for having this conversation. I think it's really important. And I think a lot of people are trying to do better with energy efficiency and maybe just don't have the information or resources. So having this conversation is super important. So thanks again for that. And um, I just, I know this is going to be very different for everybody and every household, but are there general upfront costs? Um, obviously, there's upfront costs, but what, what might those be um, as far as, you know, these heat pumps or just getting started with greenhouse um, emission reduction? And then what are the potential long-term maintenance costs and how do they kind of compare to what we are already doing as essentially maybe not ideally uh, greenhouse set up um, homes? Thanks, Ashley, for that question. Um, that's a, a great question I'm sure a lot of people wonder about is the, the upfront costs of heat pumps. Rebecca? Yeah. So one thing to um, just note is that a heat pump is basically 
an air conditioner that also can run in reverse. So it's it's very similar to your existing central air conditioning system or um, the mini splits that I think one of the callers referred to earlier that people are fairly used to seeing for cooling. Um, it's just the similar technology. It can just also heat. Um, so in terms of the maintenance, it would be very similar to what you would expect for an air conditioner, which is pretty minimal. Um, for cost, um, like Michelle mentioned there are many different types of heat pumps in, in terms of um, capacity and efficiency. And so your sort of basic um, single stage heat pump, which is really what I just described, an air conditioner that can also run in reverse, um, we're finding that that's maybe about 500 or so dollars more than a typical air conditioner. So pretty minimal cost difference. Now, when you're talking about what Michelle and I both have in our houses, the cold climate versions, those have a little bit more bells and whistles um, to really get that capacity in on those cold days. And so those are more expensive from a um, machine standpoint. Um, and then some of the labor is a little bit more expensive as well. So we're we're tending to see an average cost, if you <laughs> you can say that, um, around $10,000, maybe seven to $10,000. Um, but we have seen them as high as, you know, $15,000, $20,000. And that's one of the things that we're working on at the Center for Energy Environment is um, we have a, a program called the Minnesota Air Source Heat Pump Collaborative, where we're doing um, technical training, sales support, um, et cetera, for contractors across the state to try and get them more comfortable with these systems um, so that the costs can come down. And then additionally, I think Michelle can talk about some of the incentives that are there. Yeah, Michelle, remind us, there are, there's a lot of money coming down the pipe right now, right, for, for uh, incentives for homeowners to put in heat pumps. Can you talk about those a little bit? Indeed, there is. And I like to think of it as, what can you do today, tomorrow, and in the near future? Today, there's opportunities around tax credits that are coming flowing down from the federal government. There's opportunities through utilities. Often um, a number of utilities have rebates. And obviously there's opportunities to get more educated. And I, I'll just do one little plug that on our website at the Department of Commerce, there is a home energy guide and you can download it or you can contact us and we'll mail you a copy so that you can really get educated about all of this. Thinking tomorrow... There's opportunities to then go get that home energy audit, see what that, you know, what your home definitely needs. And in the near future, there will be opportunities for electric panel upgrades for heat pumps, both at the federal and state level through the Department of Commerce. So those are going to be rolling out here in 2024. Um, and again, you can go to our website and, and look for new energy programs to learn more. And it's, I remember when I did some reporting on heat pumps, but we're talking potentially several thousand dollars, right? For when these federal and state incentives or rebates roll out? That is correct. Um, when you combine a 30% tax credit and in some cases up to $14,000 in rebate um, dollars, it really does add up. It's, you know, as many callers mentioned, folks are working hard to do these upgrades. And these upgrades are kind of on sale right now between the federal and state programs um, and the utility offerings. We've got another caller who's called in with a comment or a question about, about some of these cost issues. Benjamin uh, in Richfield has been holding on for a while. Benjamin, thanks so much for joining us. What do you want to add here? Oh, thank you for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate this conversation. Uh, this conversation. Um, I have done a lot of the things that you talked about, including installing the heat pump um, outside our home in Richfield. 
And we were trying to balance both our desire to cut our carbon to be um, more efficient with our use of heat, um, but also to save our own cost. And so what we ended up doing was installing our heat pump alongside a high um, efficiency furnace. And then we participated in Excel's backup relief program. And I don't think that's very well known, but because we participated in that, we could cut the cost of our electricity to power the heat pump by 50%. Hmm. So I'm paying 50% cost for every kilowatt hour of electricity I consume to run that heat pump. And that makes a big difference over the course of um, the winter, uh, especially um, because electricity just costs more per unit than, um, than gas. Uh, and the way that works then is that Excel can interrupt uh, your, your heat pump but I've had this now since 2020, and they've never interrupted um, our electricity for the heat pump. The, the, big, the big issue is the upfront cost. You have to install a new fuse box in order to participate in the program. So that was like $3,000, I think, to install that. But long term, this is going to pay off much more than the cost of installing that box. So it's not a well-known program, but it's really great for us. It's what made this work for us. Um, I have so many other things I'd like to comment on <laughs> uh, at different dimensions of this conversation, but that's the one main one. No, I appreciate I that. Add. I appreciate that. Um, and thanks for it. That's really interesting. And, and I wanted to throw it here to, um, to Rebecca. Are you, so are you familiar with this? Yeah. No, you brought up so many different aspects of this cost. And, and, and you know, we think of cost as like, how much is it going to cost to get this thing installed? Um, but there needs to be this conversation about the ongoing utility costs, which I'm so glad the caller just brought up. Um, he, he mentioned that on a per unit basis, electricity is more expensive than gas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. It's about three or four times more expensive on a per unit basis to heat with electricity versus gas. And so um, heat pumps are kind of starting to make that a bit cost neutral where you've got three, three or four times more efficient. So you kind of balance that out. Um, but in the coldest times of the year, it loses efficiency and um, you need more of it. And so what what the caller did, which is um, what we refer to as a dual fuel system, where you use your heat pump um, as much as it can efficiently and where it costs less than gas would. And then it switches over to gas as, as your supplemental, but also as your economic choice. Um, and then he also mentioned different rate structures. So I believe he's talking about the dual fuel rate that Excel offers. Um, and many utilities across the state offer dual fuel rates. Um, sometimes you have to get a meter installed. Sometimes you don't. Um, that can be a barrier, like he mentioned. There's also um, all electric heating rates that are happening um, that are available at some of the utilities and there are um, ongoing rate cases that are talking about different structures. Um, So it is really good for somebody to look into what rates might be the most favorable to them so that those ongoing costs can be really minimized. This is this this brings up a a point that I'm interested to have. Maybe, Michelle, you can comment on this, but this can be really complicated. Um, and Benjamin sounds pretty sophisticated. Um, but I think a lot of people don't want to think that hard about, they might be interested in, you know, cutting their emissions, saving some money, but they need some guidance. And then is there, Michelle, is there a role? I, I know I've heard about like a call for maybe some navigators to help folks kind of guide them through this process. Is that something that, that the state is looking at or, or, or is there, are there options for folks who, who need some help? Yeah, that's a great question, Dan. And there are a number of 
um, ways to navigate this process. One is we have the Energy Information Center. It's from the state. It's free. There's no you know push for sales or anything. And you can contact the 1-800-657-3710 to get information straight up. There's also a lot of online resources, one of which would be through the Clean Energy Resource Teams. They have an IRA, um, Everything You Might Want to Know, uh, program. And you can go online, you can learn a lot about all of the rebates, the tax credits, etc. But they are also located throughout the state and willing to help folks that way. Um, so I would I would mention both of those. And then finally, if you go back to our website, um, you can look at all the new energy programs, and you can just Google new energy programs, Department of Commerce, and receive quite a bit of information there too. Rebecca? Yeah, I'll just add, I mentioned the Minnesota Air Source Heat Pump Collaborative, and that's really focused on training contractors. But there's a lot of resources for owners as well. Um, so check that out. I think uh, we'll send the link to, <laughs> to have this posted. Um, and that is a really nice uh, sort of primer on what heat pumps are, what contract, we have a preferred contractor network um, through that. So these are contractors that we have vetted and asked, um, you know, to, to adhere to certain protocols. Um, and then there's a whole big, long FAQ. So we take questions through that as well. I'll add one more. You had mentioned the Energy Navigator program, and we're standing up right now a relationship with community-based organizations to really work with those folks that may um, not have all the resources or access to information to be able to have trusted in community navigators to help walk through those programs. So more to come on that, but it's an exciting initiative. And we will post some of these links on our website, I'll say at mprnews.org. Let's go to another caller, Terry from St. Louis Park. It sounds like he has made some uh, changes in his life already, uh, moving toward electric vehicles and heat pumps. Terry, how has that worked out for you? Yeah, well, first, I just want to say thanks, Christy and Dan and NPR for this amazing, you know, getting to Green Series and also the great work of the Minnesota Department of Commerce and groups like Center for Energy and Environment and Fresh Energy, who we, you know, work with all the time. And I've done various energy conservation member uh, measures with things like window shades. And for a number of years, I've been part of Excel's wind source, which I think is also important to mention. And I, I have a Nissan Leaf electric vehicle, an e-bike, a Mitsubishi cold climate air source heat pump for heating and cooling, and a heat pump clothes dryer. And even though it's been cold, each of them have really worked well and saved money and performed better than gas. And I'm excited with the new federal, state, and even St. Louis Park incentives. I'm going to switch out my gas stove and water heater in 2024. And since you mentioned resources, I should add that at the 40-year-old Nonprofit Alliance for Sustainability, we have a campaign for sustainability, health, equity, and kindness, which is really showing people these kinds of practical, simple steps they can take and the promotions that are being offered, as well as ways that people can actually support public policies that encourage more of these incentives. And we're trying to support the 84% of young people who are feeling hopelessness and eco-anxiety with our youth in school program with an inspiring presentation and ebook engaging middle and high school students with opportunities to take action and make a difference in their home and their school and communities. And we also do uplifting presentations for businesses and congregations and have a free biweekly newsletter and social media and an exciting new book, We Can Save the World with 
practical steps written by our board member, Lori Meyer and Manbeck. Hey, Terry, thanks so much. I got to jump in here. I I really appreciate that call. We we have a a lot of folks waiting to get on, so I apologize for the interruption. But I wanted to get to to Randy from Roseville because he poses an important question that we really haven't gotten to yet. So, Randy, thanks so much for holding. What was your question? Thanks, Dan, and thanks for this show and series. Um, My question is related to the local electrical distribution system which is still largely based on overhead wires that are relatively vulnerable to power outages due to ice storms and wind storms. Right now, when that happens, most of us can still drive and cook and heat our homes because those systems rely on gasoline and natural gas. But as we move toward electrifying everything, it seems like we're much more vulnerable to these local power outages that can last for days at a time sometimes. So my question is, what are the plans to deal with this increased vulnerability, and are there any plans to make the local distribution systems uh, more robust? Randy, thanks for that. Michelle, Rebecca, either of you want to tackle this? Yeah, maybe I'll you know I'll generally refer to uh, what Margaret and Pete talked about yesterday in terms of the grid, um, and that that is a going to be a big challenge yeah, for our utilities. To just make sure that our system is as reliable and robust as we have come to to rely on. Um, so that is an important point. Um, I will note though that most heating systems, um, if not all at this point, um, do rely on electricity to run, um, uh, whether it's the pilot light or the fan that that moves heat around your house. So um, our current heating systems are all very susceptible to that same situation, um, not cooking and some of those other things that you mentioned. Um, but, uh, you know, we it's something that we need to think about, especially as we put more electricity on the grid. Right. Um, will that impact some of these issues as well? Michelle? One, um, as far as the question, as far as what other things are being done at the utility level, um, through the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act from the federal government, there is preventing outages um, dollars that are coming out for resiliency at the distribution level. And so you have that piece of it of, of work that is being done at the local utility level. And then, of course, you'll know that um, efficiency is the way to go because an efficient home, is, if they're ever was an outage is going to take a lot longer to go from hot to cold. Um, there's also storage options to think about as well. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, Larry in Minneapolis had a question or comment about solar panels on rooftops. Larry, are you there? Yeah, hi. Um, I Like everybody else, I appreciate this series. Um, and like Terry, just a little bit before, I've done a lot of work on my house. It's a 1908 vintage um, I'm into my sixth year with solar panels, and I just wanted to put a, a plug in for an organization. It's a national nonprofit called Solar United Neighbors that organizes what they call solar co-ops, and that helps people get through the process of getting solar on their houses, and as a first step to doing all of the other stuff. I, you know, and you know, I saved several thousand dollars six years ago by working with that organization, and again, that's Solar United Neighbors, <clears throat> and I've also, you know, super insulated my house, my roof of my attic is 42R, I've got triple glaze, I've replaced all of my windows with triple glaze, I recently ditched my 
my domestic water heater and uh, hot ra- and radiator boiler for an on-demand system. It's still that one's still natural gas uh, because it, it's just made more economic sense to do that. And I also upgraded my electrical panel to 240 service. And and while I was doing that, I had lines run to where my dryer is and my uh, stove is, and even a line into my garage for an eventual EV, all in preparation for replacing everything to electric. Uh, it, so you know, it if you like do it kind of in a, a state system, it's much more affordable than planning mm-hmm. on doing a whole house you rip down and turnover, uh, like one of your early callers did. But it is very practical. You know, almost all of the solar panel installers have financing, low cost financing available if you can't pay for it out of pocket. And, you know, you're installing 25 year systems that pay back in, you know, mine will be paid back in 11 years. Thanks, Larry, for that. I appreciate that. Michelle, do you want to weigh in on just the incentives that are coming for for homeowners who might be interested in putting solar on their roof or their garage? Obviously, it doesn't work for every home, but are there some options out there? Sure. There are tax credits right now. Subutilities have programs for solar as well, and there are additional um, incentives and opportunities forthcoming. But I think the what the caller noted really is here's the momentum. There's more and more people going in this direction. It's really fantastic to hear. And the one thing we need to ensure is that we do this in an equitable way, and we think about um, those homeowners that may not be able to uh, afford it. So I will just say, go to mn.gov forward slash home if that's the case for you, because you can apply for assistance in this process. Rebecca, we've just got a few seconds here to wrap up. But if someone just has a few hundred bucks or maybe a few thousand bucks, how or is, how would you recommend, where can they get the most bang for that buck? Or how would you recommend they can get started in about 30 seconds or so? Yeah, so we mentioned home energy audits, really get that for your home. And then, like I've said a few times now, um, insulation and air sealing, really the best bang for your buck. That can be somewhere between $2,000 and $5,000, so um, a lot less than a new heating system. That's Rebecca Olson with the Center for Energy and Environment. Rebecca, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. Michelle Granzi also joined us today. She is Deputy Commissioner of Energy Resources at the Minnesota Department of Commerce. She's been at Commerce since 2009. Michelle, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Make sure to tune in tomorrow for the last in our three-part series of talk shows this week on Getting to Green. We'll be talking about electric vehicles and sustainable transportation. Um, And thanks to everybody for calling in today for a great conversation. Sorry we couldn't get to more of you, but this conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom. Support for this series is provided by the Pointer Institute. Talk to you tomorrow at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.